You know, there's times in life that make you question everything that you're doing. Make you really wonder, is it all worth the risk? I remember standing there in that funeral home. Her 11-month-old body was laying in the casket. And I came as a pastor. I came into the room. But see, I, I... I couldn't help as I walked in the room to remember all those times where when she was three months old on heart monitor in her house. Waking up in the middle of the night because it had moved a little bit and being scared that something had happened. I mean, we were just watching her for our friends, Wayne and Karen, but she was in her house. Heart monitors were connected and her and her twin brother were right there and we'd hold them and we'd rock them and but I remember walking in that funeral home. And I remember looking around the room and I remember seeing all those caseworkers and all those employees. And I remember being so mad. Because, see, they were accomplices to murder. Because they were negligent in their responsibilities. See, they knew the home they put her in wasn't safe. They knew that the plan to keep her and her brother it wasn't safe. And her aunt, his aunt, her aunt was well-intentioned. And she, she was good. And she was fine to keep him. But see, the other people in the home, they weren't. And so they went in the house. And she wasn't safe. And she was murdered. I remember being in that funeral home. I remember being so mad. Because it didn't have to happen. She could have had a fine and a good life. Her brother could have grown up with his twin. But he's not going to. She's not here. I remember being so mad. But see, I had a funeral to preach the next day. And I had to tell people the good news of the gospel. But there was a few people in that room. I just... I just didn't want to hear the good news. I want them to hear the good news of the gospel at that time. And forgive me, but I kind of just wanted them to burn on earth and maybe forever. I know that's not very pastoral of me to say, but that's what was going on inside of me. And so I prayed all the way home. God, I know I shouldn't feel this way, but I do. Would you change my heart? And I prayed all night, God, would you change my heart? I even remember going home and saying, what's the point? See, because way back, my wife and I began to pray about whether we should be foster parents and whether we should take in people that were hurting. And we believe, as we read the scriptures, that it was clear. Try to find a passage that doesn't say take care of orphans and widows. Like, there's no out, right? Like, if you want to know about that, don't go to God's word because it's the wrong place. You're going to get a yes. But I do believe, like, we're not foster parents now. I do believe for that season of our life and that time, God called us to do that. And so we did. And it put us in a web of all these friendships and relationships of other foster parents and led us to these two twins being in our home. I remember thinking, God, is this worth it? Like, why do we even do this? It hurts too bad. It hurts too bad. Like, what's the point of this? But I remember praying. I prayed all night and I went to the funeral home that next day and I stood in front of a bunch of people that I didn't know, just a few that I did. And I believe God did change my heart that night. And all those people that I saw as accomplices 
I saw a need of the grace and favor of God, just as God had given me his grace and favor. And I began to see people rightly underneath the mighty hand of God, <clears throat> rather than my own flesh and my experience. And that's just one of about a hundred other stories I feel like I have of I've engaged, as I've engaged with the gospel. And I've had to ask myself, is this worth the risk? Because see, it just hurts too bad. I don't know if you've engaged in the mission of God with your life, but it is sort of painful. Like there's a price to loving people. And the price is, is that those that we love, and especially those in hardships and harm, like you're probably going to get hurt. That's why it's easier, right? The brand of Christianity that just sits in seats, listens to speakers, does the next program that the church launches, by the way, you should. <clears throat> It's easier because then I don't have to get dirty with death. I don't have to get dirty with injustice. I don't have to get dirty with people that don't love God at all and want harm to come toward me. It's easier that way, right? You come into the rooms, right, that are nice and pretty and clean and you hear about a Jesus who is nice and pretty and clean and he just wants good for you and life for you. By the way, that's true. He does want good for you and life for you, but he wants your life to matter, See, I believe that Jesus believes more in us than we believe in ourselves. I believe that we are made for a purpose. I believe that we have calling upon our life. And I believe what we'll see in this text today is that there is something incomplete in the work of God if you're a Christian and not engaged in his mission. Let me say that again. I believe that there is something incomplete in the work of God if you're a Christian and not engaged in his work. Paul will say it in the text. He says, thanks for sending Epaphroditus to us because he has completed that which was lacking. I don't think he's some sort of saint that only could provide something. I believe that's true of all of us. So this morning, if you will, turn with me to Philippians 2. Philippians 2, 19 through 30. And as we look at this text, it'll be on the screens. There's a Bible in front of you. You have journal. It's on page 12. It's a joke, sort of. Uh, And... uh, and as we look at this passage together, I believe that, that kind of summary is there is a movement of the gospel that's been unleashed in this world. The kingdom citizenship is a reality, and we are not under our own instructions anymore if we are in Christ Jesus. We are under his instructions. He calls the shots. We do not. Kingdom citizenship is a reality if we are in Christ, and our kingdom citizenship causes us to live in a different reality. So if you will, stand with me this morning in reverence and honor of God's word, Philippians 2, 19 through 30, as we continue our study through the book of Philippians. Reads, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will genuinely who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. 
for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Father, would you speak to us through your word today? Lord, would you help us to see you as you are, your word as it is, and help to move us, transform us increasingly into your image as we live underneath your lordship. Jesus, we love you, and we give ourselves to you. Lord, I give myself to you to this end. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So as we look at this text, maybe a, a couple things. First, Timothy and Epaphroditus, this is the bulk of this text. And this text is sort of built in. So you have kind of Paul's exhortations and, and, and pushes to the, church, to the church in Philippi. And so what's going to happen is right after this, so next week, we're going to start with finally, right? And so, and finally, so Paul's going to sort of kind of like land the plane of the letter, which in preacher terms is like, you got another hour. So he's going to say, and finally. And so what, what's going to happen in this text is, Paul is, is kind of in this middle of addressing personal issues, and he's in addressing familial issues. So Timothy and Epaphroditus are going to be the two gentlemen that are recognized in this text for who they are and what they've done. And I, I believe when you affirm people, when you kind of lift them up, and especially you've got this letter, one letter that you're writing, and, and in this, what we see is these men who are kingdom citizens who clearly their names are written in pencil. Right, they, that where they live and where they go, that's up to God. Right, Paul basically, Paul doesn't basically, he says in the text, if the Lord wills, like, hey, I'm going to send Timothy to you, maybe, right? Like, if, if, if God wills it, I'm going to come to you, I hope. My, my hope is that Epaphroditus will get to you. Now, right, again, this is a letter, so this isn't like real time, hey, Epaphroditus is sick, like, post Facebook message. Like, that's not how this worked. Right? These were letters. There was great distance. They didn't know the situations and circumstances that were happening. And so in this kind of section, what we see is the, the, the kind of this brotherly love, this, um, this gospel work, kind of this like war battle on mission together. What it was is they said, hey, our names are written in pencil. Where God wants us to go, we're going to go. What he wants us to do, we're going to do. I believe to be a kingdom citizen, your name your address is written in pencil. And not only do I believe your address is written in pencil, I believe that your friends and the ones you love most, their addresses are written in pencil. Paul says, Timothy, my son. Epaphroditus, my brother. Right? These that are closest to us, right? they're not ours to hold on to tightly, but they're they're gods for us to hold on to loosely, that they might be sent, and they might go, and they might do that which God has for them to do. So, in the text, there's five things that we're going to look at out of this passage that help us to see what, so this kingdom citizenship calls us to, we're going to have five things to fill in with that. So, kingdom citizenship calls us to, first, genuine care. 
Kingdom citizenship calls us to genuine care. Now, do you believe that you've ever um, seen someone who's disingenuine? Raise your hand if you've just ever seen someone who's disingenuine. Some of you are like, oh yeah, I'm going to call it out. I know the disingenuine. And like um, other of you have, I mean, is there anyone in this room that you don't feel like you've ever seen anyone disingenuine? Right. I think that's pretty common. But the, the issue is when we call out people who are disingenuine, what are we doing? Like we're, I feel like we're judging them. So this is kind of a hard thing to do. But Paul's going to do this in the positive, And he's going to say, hey, this one thing that you need to know about Timothy, dude's for real. And I believe before we kind of like, we're going to go verse by verse through this. But before we do that, there's this principle, I believe, that kind of we have to come to, to like help make our paradigm fit into this. Oh, man, that's a glance into my future. And so, uh, <laughs> whew, Deb, that's coming. It's coming in like four weeks. Can't breathe. Uh, so I'm, it's going to wake me up and then I'm going to, never mind. And so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to miss a solid five minutes of sleep at night when this baby comes. It's going to be hard on me. And so Dev uh, <laughs> amen that. So uh, anyway, don't hate me. And so, uh, so I, I believe like on, on the front end, th- there's a posture of life that I believe Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, they sort of, they sort of had that, that, that we see sort of just from their characters we read through scripture. And I, and I believe one was they, they took this kind of posture with life. <clears throat> that, that they sat underneath the authority of God and they saw God as he was. That God was holy and he was righteous and he was above all things, that everything was under his feet, that he, he should be honored supremely and most because they'd, 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 they'd been transformed, they'd been indwelt, they, they knew the power of God within him, they'd seen the power of God in this world and they came underneath his mighty hand. And so they came underneath his mighty hand and they knew that and so when they talked to their brothers and sisters, they knew that he was above them and beyond them and that he was watching them and they wanted to honor him and glorify him. And so they, they would have these conversations. They pastored and they cared. They were underneath his mighty hand, their authority, because they, they saw God rightly in the sky, in, in the sky, in the, uh, on high. They, they saw him rightly on high. And they came underneath his headship and his authority in everything they did in their life flowed from seeing God as he is, not as they wanted him to be. See, because we don't, we don't direct who God is. God is who he is. The Old Testament, he says, I am that I am. We don't get to write the book on who God is. The book has been written. He is who he is, and we have to wrap ourselves around who he is. And I believe they did, and they came underneath his mighty hand, and his authority. And I believe this is important as we look at this text because then as it, the text begins, it says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send to you, send Timothy to you soon. So, right, hope in the Lord Jesus, meaning that I'm not sure he's going to come. This is our hope and this is the direction that's going to happen. And so I'm going to trust in the Lord's provision and timing. This is a reliance upon God. So this is what I want to do. This is with eager expectation. That I'm gonna, so that I too, so continue, so that I too may be cheered by news of you meaning that I love you, I want to hear from you, I want to know what's going on, I expect good things are happening, for I have no one like him. So now Paul's going to get specific about Timothy, his beloved son in the ministry. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Genuinely concerned, it's pretty key to this text. 
See, Paul didn't say, I'm going to send Timothy to you because dude can preach. You know, fill up your buildings. He didn't say that, did he? He said, I'm going to send Timothy to you because he can do this and he has this skill and he has that skill and this skill and this, da, 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 da. He doesn't. He says, I'm going to send him to you because he really cares. And he cares for your good. It's, it's, it's real. See, I, I believe this is a value system of the kingdom that we sort of assume, and we've assumed it so much that sometimes because of skill, we let people lead us that shouldn't. People who have no genuine concern for us or the church, then their interest really is themselves, what they want and what they desire. But in this, he says, I'm going to send Timothy to you because he's really going to care. Now, does that warm your heart at all? Like, I mean, it warms our heart to think, like, this is a value system that, like, who in this room doesn't want to be genuinely cared for? But here's the issue with genuine care. The issue with genuine care is, like, sometimes as a dad, I truly want to genuinely care for my kids. But sometimes what they think genuine care is, is that they should have, like, a candy buffet at supper, right? Like, is that an issue, Right? Is that problematic? So me as the head of, like, head of my house, as a dad, as a parent, like, would that be, would, that, would, I, would I be showing them genuine care to do candy buffets at supper? Only when mom's gone, right? And like, sometimes, no. No, no, it wouldn't, obviously it wouldn't be. Obviously it wouldn't be. See, I believe that all of us in this room need spiritual directors over our life, me included, we need people over our lives that will genuinely care for us and speak into our lives and help us to go places we normally wouldn't go. See, I don't think genuine care is just like lovey-dovey, pat you on the back, give you a hug, make you feel good about yourself. Genuine care is saying, hey man, like everybody thinks you're a jerk and you're the only person in the world that doesn't think you are and like I love you enough to like help you come underneath like Jesus and learn what it means to love people. That's genuine care, isn't it? It's actually very uncaring to let someone live their life as a jerk. Anybody with me on this? So what we do is we hide. We kind of position ourselves around things. We don't put spiritual directors over our lives. And I do believe if you're a part of a church, you have spiritual directors that sit over you. If you believe that, if you don't, you probably should go somewhere else. We come underneath headship of people that will genuinely care for us. But that's not just true for a dude standing on the That's true for all of us. That's true for me. We need leadership in our lives. So, he continues. Right? For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Right? Timothy's concern was not for self. He cared genuinely, meaning he really did, and people knew it. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, right? Without pretense, this is about the interests of Christ, the, the, the authority of Christ, his way, his rule, his reign. They cared, right? They, 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 many didn't care about this. But he says, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. See, this is a, an odd value, I think, right? The, because, it's, it's, again, this is a typically assumed value. But obviously, Paul places this at a high level. Like, he could have said anything about Timothy. 
But what he said is, hey, he, he genuinely cares. See, God, Paul, God, puts a high value. This is an uncompromising value that is placed on this genuineness. Genuine care for others matters. And it's one of the highest kingdom values. Second thing that we see in the text is of kingdom value is gospel partnership. Gospel partnership, it continues. It says, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And so I I hope to send him just as, right, and he's saying again, I'm not sure, but um, Timothy, Timothy's willing to play his part. He's willing to go. Paul's willing to part with Timothy, right, for their own good. And so he's willing to let loose of those close to him for the goodness of the kingdom. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. And so Paul, and this is enduring, saying, I'm not just sending Timothy. It's like some token guide to you. Like, I really do love you. And I can't be with you right now. Like, the Lord does not have this for me right now. But in time, I hope to come back and be with you. See, Paul, Paul was hopeful, right? And he loved them. He wanted and so in this, what we see is this gospel partnership, and we see this, this, this global kingdom citizenship that where we live and what we're doing in kind of our church, our demographic, it, the kingdom of God far exceeds where we live in our locale, but it does include where we live in our locale. It's global, right? Global and local. It's, it's national. It's, it's everywhere, every facet of every place, everywhere on this world. See, so the gro- greatest roadblock, I believe, to gospel partnership is competition. And what we don't get a glimpse of in this text is anyone competing with anyone, but what we see is everyone working together for the good of the gospel. And in this, right, like God in our day, what does he want? He wants people to partner together in our church, locking arms together, outside of our church with other believers, locking arms together, people, organizations, territories, working together for the good news of the gospel, right? It is all God's anyway, coming underneath his authority and reverence. We do this. Now, we also see this gospel partnership and we can kind of deduce some other things. Like why does Paul want Timothy to go to them? Well, in Paul's letters to Timothy that he writes, he says things like this. Timothy, guard the good deposit that has been placed in you. Meaning that I have like entrusted something to you. And so that which I've entrusted you, you entrust to, uh, you entrust to faithful men who will entrust it to others. Yeah, like that, right? Like Paul, Timothy, faithful men, others. Like Paul is saying that, Timothy, I've given you something. So I don't want you just to go and like pat them on the back. I want you to genuinely care. And I want you to give them what you have been given from my apostolic authority, from, from what I have given you, from the word of God, from, from all that you have, all that you've been given, give it away. So the good news and the bad news of gospel partnership is this, that this morning, if you're sitting in here, and if there's any truth that is being like displayed or, or, or taught from the, the Bible today, Good news is you have been given a deposit. Bad news is, is now you're responsible with that deposit to do something with it. Right? And so in this text, what we see is this gospel partnership. This is about the gospel moving forward, about taking good deposits and, and giving them away so the kingdom of God will move forward. Gospel partnership, it is one of the highest kingdom values. And so, right, the kingdom citizen, citizenship calls us to Genuine care, gospel partnership. Third, calls us to mobilization. 
So the text continues, right? And it says, I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus. So now everything changes. So we've gone from him sending Timothy to now he's going to send Epaphroditus. Now, Epaphroditus is kind of interesting because Paul takes a different tone with Epaphroditus. He has his son, Timothy, and now he has his brother, Epaphroditus. Now, this is all familial, right? But, but Timothy kind of built up, but Epaphroditus was sent to him. And so somebody else kind of built Epaphroditus up. But Epaphroditus has chosen to come be with Paul on behalf of the church in Philippi. So he was sent from them. Paul's going to send him back. And in this, he calls him these words. He, there's, there's five things that he calls him. He calls him his brother. Now, if you're an English teacher in this room, you're very annoyed by Paul's writing in this text because he puts and too many times. He should have had commas. But um, my brother, right, fellow worker, fellow soldier, your messenger, and minister to my need, right? These are like the, the, the five things he calls him. And so the first three kind of are, um, the first three say a lot about who Paul saw, saw Epaphroditus to be. My brother, one, he saw him as family. It wasn't like a, it wasn't like you're kind of like family, like your Christian family, and then I got my blood family. I mean, I believe Paul saw him as family. Like this was reality. Like we are going to spend forever together in heaven as family. We're just going to wake up to the reality of what we are today. We're going to be family right now. So it was familial. And he also says, and fellow worker, it was vocational. He saw him as a worker for the kingdom of God. Now we don't know everything about Epaphroditus, but I bet you he had a job. And so here's the thing for each of us in this room, your job that you say that you do is not your primary job. Your vocation is, like, if you are a kingdom citizen, your vocation is that you work for Jesus Christ. And where you work, then you can display, like, it is a platform for your greater work, and that greater work is for the kingdom of God and his work and his mission in this world. So he says, my brother, my fellow worker in the gospel, and fellow soldier. And so it even takes it, like, kind of up a notch. And so this is military in Bent, saying that we are at war And we are warring together for our God against the rulers of darkness in this world. And so he was at war, right? So he says, we're we're family, we're working together, and we are at war together. And he says, and your messenger, right? So to the church in Philippi, you sent him to me, you sent a missionary, you sent someone to come and help us here. Your messenger, testimony, right? This is a testimony of their, their kingdom mindset, They didn't hold in, they let loose and minister to my need, that they were self-giving, that they actually cared about Paul and Paul felt that care and love from them, right? So continues, for he has been longing for you all, right, that he cared for them. He wanted to be with them, but he knew that God had wanted him to be there. And inside of this text, we see a lot of like emotional things that sometimes we push away like as they're sinful. They're not, like he was there, and his family was somewhere else, and he wanted to be with them, but he was clear of where his calling should be. It's okay. And has been dis- distressed because you heard that he was ill. And so now he was worried. Simple things, right? These are just like relational, relational things we see in the letter. He was worried, right? Like, he'd been sick. He almost died. We'll see in a minute. Like, he almost died. And the people, right, the church in Philippi, they were worried about him. They loved him. They cared about him. They didn't know what happened. Remember, no Facebook, right? He's not posting his status about how he's feeling today. Right, like only threw up twice today, feel like I'm getting a little bit better, which by the way, if you're throwing up, don't post it on Facebook. And so uh, nobody wants to hear that nor know that, so we'll just pray for you, just say I'm ill. And so um, I'll give a little Facebook coaching this morning. Um, so, so, so he's been stressed and heard that he was ill, and so, 
and it continues, indeed he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. Right? God rescued him and healed him from his illness. Not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Which is a unique window into the heart of the Apostle Paul. He said, man, if, if Epaphroditus would have been gone, it would have wrecked me. It would have been really, really, really hard. Now, sometimes we over-Christianize death and we just say things like, hallelujah, he's in heaven, no tears. That's just not a reality for me. I, I've always said that whoever does my funeral, I want them to cry. I just want them to cry the whole time. Man, I was loved. Like, there's nothing wrong with being sad and having sorrow upon sorrow. And what Paul says here is if, if, if Epaphroditus would have been gone, I know where he would have been. I, mean, I, I, don't, I undoubtedly know that Paul knows that he would have been in heaven. But, but the, the lack of relationship would have been excessively hard for him on earth. And that's a reality for all of us. Anybody else had that in their life? Yes, it's a reality. So I'm giving you permission if you've got some tension there in your faith, like, can I, like, cry? And, like, does that mean that I'm, I, like, I don't believe in heaven or whatever? So some of you are like, I don't even know why you're saying this. I'm just telling you I need to. You can. These are dual truths that can coexist. So, continues. I am more eager, right? I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. Paul says, I know that you long for him. I know that he has work here. I want him to be with you and we're hoping to send him to you soon. That way we're all sort of relieved in this tension that we're living in in our life. See, mobilization, mobilization, it isn't natural to us. It's not natural to let loose of those closest to us for the greater work of the kingdom, for God's greater work in this world. But, but if we see that we are family, that we are called to a common vocation, that we are at war, it helps us let loose of these things. So the, the gospel work of the kingdom of God transcends local and spans the globe. And I believe that in this room, our framework must expand in how we see the kingdom of God, we see the global kingdom of God, and we see God and we see his mission. See, there's this like, great divide that was created. And it was created way, way back in church history in like around 300, 350 and the like, Catholic Church emerged, clergy, alert, uh, <clears throat> clergy arose, and sort of there were the trained and the lay, right? That's, I don't even know what laity means. Honestly, I've been around this for a long time, and I, don't, I still don't know what that word means. And so um, that's probably because I should study more. And so, so there's this like, kind of divide, like I'm on the stage, you're down here, I do the work of the gospel, you listen to me do the work of the gospel, whatever that is. And that whole thing, I guess it like this, <clears throat> When Martin Luther gave the church their Bible back, um, they still hadn't gotten their ministry back. And see, I, I believe that the kingdom of God, it's, it's level. I don't think there's a clergy-lady divide. I think it's all of us working together for our king. You know, way back, I, I remember the first time I served communion, I was in, a, I was in, a, I was in Ecuador and all these churches had come and there was this older pastor that was coming through the line and we were literally doing the breaking the bread and dipping it and it's called intinction. Anyway, that's a side note. And so um, we were doing this and I remember, I remember I had the cup and the older pastor was gonna dip it in. I thought, I'm so unworthy to serve to this guy. Like I've been in ministry like two days and this guy's been like for 50 years. Like he should serve me. It was like an instant, almost like in an audible voice. It wasn't, but it, it could have been. God was like, Ryan, we all, we all come to Jesus through the foot of the cross. Whether you're 50 years of ministry 
whether you're two days or whether you're a new believer, we're all the same, redeemed by his blood. You see, in, in this room, each of us have a unique place to serve in his kingdom. I live on Caswell Circle. I have a set of neighbors that you don't, Laura, right? And God has given me a unique place and position to shine light, to show love, to be genuine, to care, work for the betterment of my community. My community, right, we've tried to do that the best we can. I work. The only last person I work with is Dave Short. I've been trying to get him saved for a long time. Uh, That's a joke. I love you, Dave. I don't know if he's in here. (laughs) But, you know, Mark, you work around all kinds of different people. You have a unique platform that no one else in this room does that is yours. And as we look around the room, I could do it all over. Many, you do. Each of us have a place and a space that God has entrusted to us to partner in the gospel with our Lord Jesus to live underneath his power and authority to see his kingdom come. There's no stage in rows of seats in the kingdom of God. This is just a platform that's easiest for us to communicate some things, right? The kingdom of God is level. And we've all been called to this greater work together. It's level. We've all been called to this greater work together. See, mobilization isn't just for those that we're sending to distant places, which we're about to do in a moment, but it's for each and every one of us. God has called us to be mobilized every day, everywhere, in every way. Fourth, and we're going to run through the last two quick. So the fourth is love. Love. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. One of the things that we kind of just kind of bleed out of this, whether it's Timothy or Epaphroditus, he's saying, like, I love these men and they should be loved and we should love one another, receive each other in the Lord, receive each other with joy. Honor those who take risk for the good news of the gospel. And I believe as we look around this room, and I could do this probably today, as we look around the room, we honor one another in that way. We say to one another, well done. Like where you work out, well, well done in your community, well done where you work. And by the way, I don't know anybody that's perfecting that thing. We all can get better and we all can learn from one another because it's not easy to take Jesus into the marketplace. Last I checked, we don't live in a society that super loves Jesus. Last I checked, he's sort of a controversial individual. Last I checked, he has always been, even when he walked on this earth. Last I checked in my neighborhood, not everybody loves Jesus and not everyone loves talking about Jesus. I just have the pastor card, so I just, like, let's just get this awkwardness over with. So, uh, right, love. Love is more than a feeling, right? It is an action, honoring one another, affirming one another in the faith, taking action to lift each other up in the good work of the kingdom of God. And then, right, and then fifth, last, is risk-taking, risk-taking. Genuine care, gospel partnership, mobilization, love, and risk-taking. It says, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. See, I believe in this, again, that they came underneath, right? This, why would you take such risk? Because Jesus is the head. And following after Jesus and his will is worth the risk. Second Peter 3.19 says that he is not wishing 
that any should perish, but that all come to eternal life. So the question is, if you are a kingdom citizen, do you believe that following Jesus everywhere, every day, to everyone is worth the risk? So, you know, when I stood in that funeral home, I had to wrestle through some stuff. And I wish I could tell you it wasn't the last time that I wrestled with it about 12 years ago. I've wrestled with it since, and I've been in situations just as dire, a few maybe even worse. And they do take a toll, and it does cost. But I hope in my life that the hardship never becomes harder than the thought of dishonoring my king, the one I love most, who loved me beyond what I could ever imagine, my Savior, Jesus Christ. So today, as a church, we get to do something very unique to conclude our services. We get to commission a couple, Peter and Hannah Simonides, who are going to the Middle East. Um, They are leaving here. Peter grew up here at North Canton Chapel. Um, Hannah grew up in Akron, and uh, they have a, a clear call on their life to do a work that God has set them apart for. Um, I believe this is true for all of us in this room. That Again, we said at the beginning of the service that there, right at the end of this, he said that, that you sent me Epaphroditus and he completed something that was lacking. I believe that in the kingdom of God, if you are not engaged, there's something lacking, right, in the movement. There's something lacking in that. And I believe clearly that there's something lacking where you guys will go in a place in which you will fit and serve and do something far beyond Um, what could have been without you. So if you guys would come up, we want to pray over you this morning and we want to commission you. Before we do, grab a mic. I know that Peter wanted to say a few things to you before we pray over them today. Uh, We really just want to say thank you um, to to all of you. Um, Growing up here has just provided me such a great community and foundation um, to to go to places like Canton, to Akron, um, and now to to the Middle East. Um, So I'm I'm so grateful for this community, um, and um, yeah, thank you. Um, but we're also really grateful for your generosity as a church in, in giving to us, um, in, in partnering with us as we go. Um, you guys have been incredibly genuine, or generous uh, with us. Genuine. Gen- yes. Genuine as well, yeah. yes. We, and we really have felt your genuine care, um, just as we've, as we've talked with you, as we've been in ABFs, as we've um, just visited again. Um, Thank you uh, for that. Thank you for your care. Um, it, it means a lot to us as we go. And I, <clears throat> I just want to affirm to you guys again that, you know, as <clears throat> I've lost my voice. And so as, we've, as, as I've watched you, right, two and a half years ago, you got married and you both have been engaged in, whether it was at the Logan House or, you know, in your own life uh, and of, of working with the courts in Akron, you guys have a heart to care for those that are marginalized and hurting. And, and where they're going is to a place where there will be refugees coming in. And it's sort of the intermediary place where they'll be working, where refugees that have been displaced, or who are some of the most hurting and broken people in the world. And the Bible's pretty clear on refugees too, right? To, to care for the wanderers amongst us. And so you're going to be going to a country where there's it's kind of an intermediate, where they'll be placed from that place like two other countries. And it's a unique time where they, they really are scared 
and they really have a lot of questions about life and an an amazing opportunity for you to not just share the good news of Jesus, but also to meet them in their needs and to help them. And I believe that God has uniquely equipped both of you for that. Um, I love you guys. We love you. And we want to be a really good sending church to you. And and by you being up front here, we are committing that to you today. And so we love you deeply. So let's let's encourage them before we pray for them. Love you guys. So if you're a friend or family or anyone that just feels led to, come down. Let's lay hands on them this morning. After we lay hands on them, we're going to have a song to conclude us. But if you'll come down this time and and we want to lay hands on them and to send them. um... Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that we have a savior who knew our need, who emptied himself, who came to this earth, who sacrificed his life so that we might have life. We thank you that we have a savior who is resurrected and on high and is the head of his church today. We thank you that Peter and Hannah have come underneath his headship. Or we thank you that you've surrounded them with men and women who have counseled them and helped them. Thank you that through prayer, through your spirit, that all of these things have connected together for them to take this, this step of faith to a place that is in desperate need of your hope where we believe that your kingdom is at hand Lord, we are your children. Lord, I thank you for their willingness to be moved wherever you would have them to be. And so, Lord, we pray for your anointing and blessing on them today. We pray that your hand of favor would rest on them, that you would give them them favor as they learn language, as they engage in a new culture, as you surround them with people that encourage them and build them up. Lord, as a church, help us to do well in loving them and caring for them in the days and weeks and months and years to come. Jesus, we commission them, we send them today in your name, Jesus. We affirm your calling on their life and we pray that your anointing would rest on them. Jesus, we love you, we thank you, and we ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.